Today, as we welcome back former seminarian Lindsay Franklin to preach, we reflect on the lectionary passage from the Gospel of John. Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people with two loaves and fish, as we heard about two weeks ago, and then walked on the Sea of Galilee. Now he's talking about eternal food. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, our hearts and souls across time and space to listen in on this conversation and perhaps even scratch our heads in disbelief like the early disciples did. When the disciples found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the parent has set their seal. Then they said to him, what must we do? to perform the works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom God has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my parent who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For the good news of Jesus Christ. Good morning, United Parish. It is so good to be with you. Please pray with me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When the lockdown began last spring, I began to break, bake bread. Apparently, I was not alone. So not alone, in fact, that I'm now embarrassed to admit to becoming such a boring cliché. The week of March 25th, 2020, the number of Google searches for the word bread hit an all-time high. Flour was impossible to get. Thousands of us across the country were cracking open preciously titled books with beautiful covers and impossibly technical recipes dusting the flour off our hands, weighing out salt and yeast by the gram, slowly finding the dance 
between time and temperature and the active yeast cultures that make bread so delicious. I can't quite explain it, but my urge to make bread was strong. Do you all remember those early days of the pandemic? We've all had, I know, different experiences of this ongoing roller coaster of a pandemic, and it's important not to universalize just one. For me, the things I remember most about those early days, particularly our anxiety, despair, disconnection, doom scrolling, a deepening tethering to technology. Perhaps some of you can resonate with any of those things. Baking bread was not only something that I could focus on other than the global pandemic, upending life and causing death across our world, not only something that disconnected me from the internet, it also offered a concrete way to nourish the people I love. It also offered a particular kind of physical pleasure in making and in sharing and in eating. There was something so delightful about feeling the dough in my hands, about seeing the look of joy behind a friend's masked face when I dropped off a loaf, about popping a piece of buttery deliciousness into my mouth, still warm from the oven. At least if I couldn't touch people, I could feed them. At least if I couldn't hug people, I could stick my hands into that wet dough, folding it, shaping it, loving it into loaves that would nourish and delight them. As we take a look at our reading this morning, I want to zoom out a little bit in our scriptural context. We find ourselves just after Jesus has miraculously fed bread to 5,000 people. At this moment, we see people trying to grapple with just who Jesus is. Their emotions, it seems, are all over the map. We know from scripture that their first instinct was to make him king. When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, it says in the 15th verse of this same chapter of John's Gospel, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And now, after the disciples have followed him to the other side of the lake, after he miraculously walked on water to meet them, now this crowd too follows him. Their longing for him here, their hunger even, is palpable. They try to understand him, asking question after question. His culminating response is this. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. We see now that Jesus miraculously feeding physically hungry people bread sets the context for Jesus offering himself as bread to a spiritually hungry people. There's a lot to unpack in this passage that I won't go into here this morning. But what I want you to pay attention to here is this burgeoning sense that this Jesus character is someone different, someone miraculous, perhaps even someone great. And I want you to watch what the crowd does in response. They want to make him king. He asks them to make him bread instead. They want to make him king. He asks them to make him bread instead. Still, perhaps we want to make him king. And Jesus, in a way that is radical, humble, and eternally wise, declines this oh-so-human demand. He asks us to make him bread instead. 
Those of you who remember me when I served as your seminarian will know that my theological journey has been a struggle. Even now, four years later, my understanding of Jesus is continuously in formation. And everything didn't magically become clear when I got ordained this past December, even with Kent's excellent ordination sermon. And Jesus in John's Gospel, with John's apparent focus on Jesus as the only way, the only truth, the only life deliberately set up to be understood in opposition to Jewish tradition in the first century, Jesus in John's Gospel has been a particular stumbling block for me. In an age where so many men want to be king, I struggle with the metaphor of yet another sovereign, all-powerful ruler. I see myself so clearly in this crowd. I feel their longing, that spiritual hunger, that desire to get it, wanting to follow, wanting to understand, and just not quite grasping it. Perhaps you see yourself too. I know this is probably not something I should admit, but I still cannot tell you that I know precisely and definitively who Jesus is. But bread bread I get. And as I wrestled with this passage in the context of what I know about bread, it suddenly dawned on me. What if Jesus came not to rule us, rule us, but to nourish us, perhaps even to delight us? What if Jesus came not to rule, but to nourish and delight us? And as followers of Jesus, what if this too is our call? to nourish one another, to delight one another, to give one another this bread given to us and embodied by Jesus Christ always. One thing that has been so humbling about this past year, a year of COVID-19, a contentious election, police brutality, a national reckoning on racial justice, is that we have been forced to reimagine what it means to be a hero. And so many stories in our culture are these individual hero narratives, the superhero, the savior, the king. When we are anxious, despairing, disconnected, and doom-scrolling, doom physically and spiritually hungry, we so often want kings. We want rulers and heroes who will tell us what to do. Like the crowd of people who want to force Jesus to become king, we project our fears and anxieties and despair and disconnection, all of these hungers, we project them onto one person, hoping they alone can solve our problems. As human beings, we only need to look into our history and, dare I say it, into our theology to see this authoritarian longing, this human desire for hierarchy and order and rule. But hero stories are insufficient and even disastrous for a world as interconnected as ours, a world that faces intertwining, tangled up challenges, racial justice, a broken policing system, climate change, poverty, vast inequality that no hero can take on alone. What makes Jesus different miraculous, and yes, even great, is that he refuses this kingship, at least on the earthly realm, that we so desperately want to give him. Instead, he feeds us 
knowing that it is not another king we need, not yet another hero, but bread. Jesus has faith that with just the right amount of nourishment and just a dash of delight, perhaps we, his people, together, can make a way out of no way. With a little bit of faith, perhaps we, his people, together, can find the miraculous in the mundane. With a little bit of love, perhaps we, his people, together, can take a world of scarcity and fear and find abundance and hope. Because the beautiful thing about bread in the sixth chapter of John's gospel is that it is shared. If we see Jesus physically feeding the 5,000 as a model for the spiritual bread that he offers, we see that the power of bread is bottom up, not top down. Feeding each, personal in, feeding each person individually and in turn as a collective. A nourished and delighted community is a powerful community indeed. Our metaphors matter. If we force Jesus to be a king like our earthly rulers, our superhero to solve all our problems, our theology becomes complacent. Our kingdom of God ordered in a way that aligns with earthly oppression and hierarchy. But if Jesus is bread, as he calls himself, able to feed us all and miraculously more abundant when shared, perhaps God's kingdom is more like yeast, active, generative, growing, as all God's works nourish and delight in one another in praise. United Parish, I will tell you this, you all know how to be bread. I remember the first time I came to your church, my faith still so tender and tentative and raw. I sat wide-eyed as Kent offered a sermon about friendship modeled after the spirit of friendship that he saw in this congregation. Throughout the following year, I witnessed that spirit up close, watched you tend one another, care for one another throughout what was a tumultuous year. This church, you, your friendship, your faith, your love, nourished and delighted me as I grew from a wobbly-legged student to a first-time preacher to a minister in discernment. My faith took root here. My call to ministry took root here with you. Four years later, now an ordained minister, I serve as associate pastor for development at Richmond Hill a retreat center and urban monastery in Richmond, Virginia, where we focus on racial reconciliation and spiritual development. I certainly am still in formation, but the bread you offered four years ago, it continues to nourish me, to delight me, and to root me in a Christian faith that I can now call my own. So beloved Church of United Parish of Brookline, as you reach towards the future, trust this bread you receive from Jesus Christ and that you offer in abundance as a community of faith. Amplify it. Share it. Allow it to grow like yeast as you continue to nourish one another, to delight one another. So what in your life, in you, in others, in your life together as a community of faith, in the ministry of those around you, what needs nourishment? Where can you offer delight? 
How can you take this bread of Jesus Christ and in turn become bread for the world? We have a prayer at Richmond Hill that I offer here to close, and I offer it for you of United Parish of Brookline. It goes like this. Grant, O Lord, that your kingdom may come in this community of Brookline, Massachusetts. Help us to be part of its coming. Help us to minister to one another in the spirit and seek your ministry for ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.